Welcome. This is episode 21 of Turtle Talks, a bi-monthly podcast produced by Happy Dancing Turtle. We like to talk about gardening, nature, soil health, food systems, or pretty much anything else that falls under the subject of sustainable practices. Well, last week we sat down with Travis Grimler, local news reporter whose favorite hobby is foraging. We chatted with Travis for over 90 minutes and picked up so much great info, we were able to split into two whole episodes. In this episode, we talk about proper foraging safety, nutrients versus calories, and even The Walking Dead. Lots of fun in this episode. Stay tuned. Another episode of Turtle Talks here at Happy Dancing Turtle. Um, I'm here today with Allison and Dave from the Food and Water Security Program. Um, my name is Jim, and we have with us today a guest, Travis Grimler. Hi, how's it going? Who's a foraging aficionado. Um, I don't know if that's the right term or not, but um, uh, Travis is well known in our community as, as a as a resident expert in wild foods, so we're excited to have him here today. Um, I don't know if expert's yeah. the right word, I just don't know how to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes the expert label gets thrown on you whether you want it or not. That's what we mm. say about Jim, too. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, we're excited to talk to you and, and glean some knowledge and, and share with our, our listeners out there. So well, I'm always happy to share. So Cool, good. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you do in the community first for your job and, mm-hmm. and, and what you do around Pine River, and then we'll get into foraging. Okay. I'm a local boy. I was born and raised in the Bacchus area, and uh, after college and all that, I came back to work for our local newspaper, the Pine and Lakes Echo Journal. And in my very scant free time, one of my favorite things to do is to hunt for wild foods and just do random projects that come into mind, usually food-related <laughs> recipes. That's how I ended up with a recipe column. So. Nice. Awesome. Maybe we should just start with some basics of foraging. You know, what's your method, um, some of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you know, it all comes down to a few things. I'm going to go a little bit out of order here and start with the safety Um, So safety is the thing you want to definitely consider first and foremost because if you don't get the safety down pat, you shouldn't probably be in the woods to begin with. And a lot of times when people are thinking safety with wild foods, they're of course thinking poisonous versus non-poisonous. But even before that, I'd say find somebody to go into the woods with because first and foremost, the buddy system is a lot safer than going it alone. And while it's... I found some of the coolest spots out in the woods by myself by literally getting lost. It's still <laughs> not the best way to do things, and uh, you get in real trouble if you just did something as simple as fall and break something, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. But I guess getting back yeah. to poisonous stuff, uh, safety in that aspect, it's definitely an issue of research, you know? Mm-hmm. I sometimes spent years before I actually ate something that... I've been researching and and find as many sources as you can on a subject until you feel safe eating it. If you don't feel safe, you don't feel like you're identifying it 100% accurate, just keep on observing, you know. Mm -hmm. That's that's the first and foremost. Or at least some of the poisonous mushrooms, by the time you realize that you've eaten the wrong one, there's nothing they can do to save you, as I understand. There's a reason they call the Amanita the destroying angel. Right. 
It's an apt name, you know. <laughs> they named these things the way they did for the reason, for a reason. But uh, so yeah, just lots of extensive research, find out all the important steps to identify, and then beyond that, you definitely have to be careful. Uh, a lot of people talk about uh, over harvest, and I think before before the program we talked a little bit about that with ginseng, chaga. Uh, Ramps. Wild, yeah, ramps, wild onions, uh, things like that. Overharvest is a huge concern in different areas. In Canada, it's my understanding that you, the ramps are pretty much protected in certain regions, and we don't want that to be the case with a lot of the wild foods around here. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, a lot of a lot of very serious harvesters came up with something they call the rule of thirds, which I follow pretty carefully. When it, whether it comes to abundant plants like cattails or the ramps, which are a lot more rare, and basically you only take one third of what you find from a specific area, and it's pretty easy to uh, keep track of too. Because if you go in a straight line and you count one, two, three, harvest the third one, it's pretty simple to do sure. too. It's not hard, and if if you found an abundant source, you're going to leave behind a lot. Sure. And obviously, never take more than you can use. Right. So. Mm -hmm. So I guess those are the fir first and foremost, those are the methods that I keep in mind whenever I go out. What about seasonality? Are you, do you have like different techniques or different approaches at different times of the year? Well, uh, it certainly varies a little bit in what you're looking for. And I'll start by kind of asking you, uh, this early spring, what type of things are you expecting to be able to harvest from the gardens here earliest i mean give me kind of a list of the things that you're going to be able to harvest shortly after the snow goes away maybe may well one of the earlier ones i don't know that it's the earliest but asparagus is fairly early mm -hmm. you know that's a pretty common one yeah um, a couple other ones things that the book you'll give in stocking mm -hmm. wild asparagus right yeah, yeah. Um, it's sitting right here in front of us mm -hmm. so well um, rhubarb Mm -hmm. Our early onions mm -hmm. are like our Egyptian walking onions and our evergreen bunching onions. All those are coming up early in the spring. Yep. Mm -hmm. Chives. Yeah, chives. What else? Um, some leeks. There's herbs and then some wild foods like, like nettles and stuff like that too. Mm -hmm. They're well, fairly early. And, and you notice that a lot of things that you're listing are uh, perennials with shoots, yep. the asparagus perennials mm -hmm. with shoots, yep. greens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, a little bit less so in your garden, but more so in the wild, first year roots, overwintered roots. Okay. And, you know, it's not so different in the wild. A lot of the seasons that you follow with harvest in your garden are going to be reflected in the wild. The reason you go with leaves in the early spring is they're tender, right? right. Mm -hmm. The reason you go for stalks in the early spring, they're not woody, they're not stringy. Again, they're tender. The same thing with the shoots, and that's the way it works in spring. Now, if you were to go into summer, what types of things are you going to expect to be able to harvest in the summer? I guess I would also point out that most of that stuff we talked about is also very high in vitamins. Oh, absolutely. After, mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of the thing that I like to talk about when it comes to talking about seasonality. Um, you know, as eating with the seasons is, you know, the, the, the way they talk about it is that after the long winter those really nutritious greens come out because they're full of vitamins and, and your yeah. body craves those. So. Absolutely. And same thing with the roots is uh, the reason why you harvest roots in two seasons fall and the spring is that uh, in the fall the plants have to start storing up something to survive through winter if it's, a, if it's some sort of a perennial and so they start to store 
uh, starches and sugars. Mm -hmm. And over the winter, usually it converts even more into sugars. And so in the fall, they're, they're big, large roots and tubers. In the spring, they're probably going to be a little bit smaller from meeting their stores mm -hmm. and surviving, but they're still going to be really abundant in those calories. And mm -hmm. that's something that is almost exclusive to fall and uh, fall and spring. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, these things are definitely storing a lot more sugars and nutrients at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of the greens continue into summer, but about that time, stuff starts to get a little bit chewy. A little bit of the herbs, but you can usually grind those down so that, you know, you dry them, you grind them, you're not looking to use them so fresh always. Mm -hmm. uh, summer is a, not the most abundant harvest time for some things. It's great for mushrooms. Because right. um, in the spring, you are only going to get a couple different mushroom species in the spring. But in the summer, most of them are going to start to come out. Uh, things with woody materials that you can use flavorings seasonings some berries but again i would actually say in the summer the mushrooms are the prime uh prime available you know one we're talking like starting in july mm -hmm. august yep yeah probably i mean i know morels and oysters are a little bit early a little, you know spring yeah, spring but they're actually kind of an outlier right yeah very rare yeah and then you continue into fall and we already talked about uh shoots roots and the things that are used for reproduction you know mm -hmm. set down seeds before winter comes that they can grow in the spring uh berries nuts and things like that and also some mushrooms so they start to dwindle off as the temperature gets a little bit colder mm -hmm. the lobsters definitely persist a little bit into the fall which is fantastic <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> mushrooms in the fall winter is really probably the reason why <laughs> a lot of tribes of uh human beings across the globe remain, you know, uh, omnivorous. It's hard to find plants in the winter, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because in, especially in snowy places. you, you got to dig mm -hmm. down for anything that has calories because, honestly, it's hard to find calories in the wild. Yeah. Uh, we talked about roots and, and seeds. Those things are your best bet for calories mm -hmm. in the wild. Even berries don't have nearly enough sugar to sustain you. Yeah. Um, but in the winter... I suggest this is the time for you to kind of start using your stores of wild foods. And in one way, I brought, for example, these little shoots here. Uh, and these are from Curly Dock. And they're produced using the same method uh, used to produce uh, chicory um, endive heads in, in France and Europe, all, you know, all over okay. the place. Fancy restaurants for high-dollar menus, mm -hmm. uh, basically. In the fall, you go looking for those abundant, like big, healthy roots that the curly dock is putting down and getting ready for winter. You dig them up. I planted these in a bucket, and then I left them outside until it froze. And this is all found, by the way, Ewell Gibbons' book. He's one of the only places you can find this information, so it's kind of hard to research what anybody's done with it. And when after it freezes, you bring it inside, you put it in your basement, and it tricks the plant into thinking it's spring. Hmm. So the plant starts to send up using the sugars and stored starches, send up making this vegetable here that you're looking at, which would make an okay green. It would make possibly an even a okay steamed vegetable. Mm -hmm. And uh, it makes these very tender and not at all bitter greens as far as I'm concerned. And you can do that with, a, with different plants. Uh, you can do that with dandelions, or you can also go a different route sprouts 
mm. microgreens, yep. things like that. That's what I would recommend for winter is having something that you can kind of grow inside rather than mm -hmm. depending on the outside to produce for you. Because everything's all, you know, with few exceptions, things are pretty dormant. One, one of those few exceptions might be the inner bark of a, a poplar tree, which you can actually make flour from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, for our listeners, uh, I'm sorry, what kind of dock was it? Curly dock. It's curly dock. So Travis brought in a couple little um, very pale shoots of curly dock. They are, um, imagine a, a bean sprout, except much more attractive, uh, with a little bit of yellow leaf on it. And um, we've just been nibbling on them a little bit. There's... They're almost citrusy. Yeah. They've, that's because they've got oxalic acid, the same thing that gives rhubarb its flavor. Sure. Yeah, Rumex family plants has oxalic acid. And, and you do have to be careful because oxalic acid in and of itself can cause some gastrointestinal distress in some people. This stuff, if you eat a little bit, you want to start slow because dock definitely can have a negative effect on people. And that's one thing that you got to be careful with wild foods. You don't know how you're going to expect, uh, how you're going to react to things. So maybe I shouldn't have eaten that whole shoot? No, that's, gonna, that's <laughs> not going to be, oh, that's not going to be, that was tiny. Oh, that was tiny. But actually, to make a whole salad out of it. Yeah. Right. yeah. And the other thing I do with, with doc, uh, since we're talking about winter, is through the winter, I make a lot of doc bread. Okay. Because those red seed heads that you guys have growing out here, I've seen them before. Yep. Sure. Mm -hmm. Those red seed heads are covered in what a lot of people call wild buckwheat. And supposedly it is a very close relative. I, I'm i not a, in, in that field, so I can't okay. say for sure. And you can grind that up. It's got a ton of fiber in it. And about a third of your portion of flour you can replace with ground uh, dock seeds. Dock and seeds. I mean, you don't even have to remove the chaff. You just grind it up. Just grind it up whole. Mm -hmm. huh. It makes this really dark, earthy bread. Really? But it, if you don't use too much, it still rises really well. story i like to tell stories when i can get them in <laughs> so we were recently at the indigenous farming conference over mm -hmm. in um uh Minoman. Mm -hmm. um and i went to a session by a uh a phd who is researching uh like a pre-colonial diet mm. um he's he's from um, the Great Lakes region east of here. Mm -hmm. So Minnesota didn't um, feature uh, strongly in his work, but he had a lot of great stories to talk about. And his his joke was about The Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. And um, that on the show, they're always going and searching for these food caches. And he said, they're walking right by food. They're walking <laughs> through the woods. There's all this food right there. And they're going to look mm -hmm. for the food caches. And so I find that very amusing. I'm not yeah. a Walking Dead fan. <laughs> um, but it's, it's in a way relevant 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, the interesting thing about that um, is uh, it kind of gives a little... We're, uh, <laughs> getting back to the kind of calorie density that we were, I was talking about earlier, uh, if you do get into these authors that I have books here for, Samuel Thayer, I believe, it's either Samuel Thayer or John, John Callis, but I think it's Thayer, um, addresses the con- uh, the story of uh, Christopher McCandless, you know, the, uh, from Into the Wild. Oh, yeah. sure, yeah. yeah. And kind of addresses how, what happened to him, and it kind of plays back to what you're talking about, where Christopher McCandless was probably overwhelmed with the fact that he wasn't prepared for how many calories that you mm. would need and what foods you actually have to seek out for those calories. So while I definitely agree with that that person's uh, yeah. point that he's making, <laughs> you definitely have to be aware of the fact that it takes a lot of calories to hunt wild food. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, it takes a lot, and you have to hunt the right ones to actually make a cal- caloric benefit from that you know, rather than using more calories than you're going Just to gain. Because yeah. greens aren't going to do it. Right, right. <laughs> and it takes a lot of calories to hunt berries. Yep. <laughs> so you definitely have to be aware of that, too. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, he's, he's definitely right. There's food all over the place, and some of it, especially the roots, have a lot. You know, yeah. So. yeah. How many of our ancestors were vegans? No. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your favorite foods to find? Well, you know, I definitely started with berries, like I said, and that definitely holds uh, a, a special spot in my heart. Blueberries, especially, because blue, when I was a kid, was just my favorite color, and I'd go for anything blue. Uh, June berries, uh, this last summer, kind of reinvigorated me it's because... A great season for June berries last I year. I have never seen June yeah, berries like that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It was crazy. I, I stocked up like crazy. Yeah, we picked several gallons. In the last two years, I've been uh, getting really into cranberries in late fall, and that's oh. kind of a fun one because almost everything else is gone. Right. And it's uh, a little bit of a challenge because you're usually walking up to your knees in bog, and, but it's a different environment from what you're used to. You see mm-hmm. plants that you don't stumble across. I mean, most people have heard of pitcher plants, mm-hmm. but they're all over in these bogs, yeah. and it's just a completely different world almost, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I have a lot of other favorites too. My mushrooms are... Oysters are kind of fun because they smell like licorice, so it's kind of mm-hmm. you know it's kind of fun, especially to introduce someone to one. Hey, look at this thing growing out of the tree. Sniff it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but like for things like that, half of the time is you know the joy out of, out of finding any of these things is to share the experience with people too. But this last year was just incredibly abundant for uh, for me for black trumpets. Okay. Lobster mushrooms. I found several that were bigger than my hands. Mm. Uh, chicken of the woods, which are you know one of the foolproof four that don't look like anything else. And yep. I didn't find any morels, but I found a lot of those others and chanterelles, yellowfoot chanterelles, and those mm. are always. I always love to find the lobsters. Probably my favorite wild mushroom. I don't think I've eaten that before. Hmm. They're very neat. The, the cool part about it is once you start to recognize where they are, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this game of where's waldo because they're underneath leaf litter and so you'll be walking through the woods and you see this mound of leaves that's just like abnormally high 
and you think, okay, could that be it? And then you flip it over, and there's this bright orange thing underneath of it, yeah. and it was completely hidden before. So it's like this kind of cool, you know, hide and seek game, <laughs> and that's kind of like I think it's this really primal thing inside of you where. Uh, food is even a faster reward to your brain than money. So you're like, hey, food, I'm really excited, you know. So so it's really kind of the cool thing that, you know, really fast rewarding feeling. And, and probably that's one of my favorites lately, lobster mushrooms, just because of how, you know, how, how you look for them. And right. this last summer I had several people come into the woods with me looking for them, and, and they got to enjoy it too. So that's even more fun. devil telling me to lie again but his I'm around me says it's all right to pretend yeah. that you can get more than you get and he wears a raincoat that celebrities if all to craft and they're working for him his secret special staff he gets a couple more yeah. sent to him every week Moving on to, well, we'll stick with the tree subject. Uh, needles? Needles are supposed to The hardwood to. ash thing that you were talking about. Oh, no, about I forgot that. to bring, I was going to bring some gum for you guys. <gasps> oh, man. I was going to bring all sorts of treats, but I found out I was out of flour, so I could make oh. you guys oh. cookies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but needles, uh, so needles are a pretty uh, common one for um, a lot of people make tea. Because right. we were talking about the the um, the nutrient density, I mean, back in colonial times, people would be have a serious problem with uh, with not having enough vitamin C in their diet, right. and it's my understanding people could wander through the North Woods, and just be having serious problems with scurvy. scurvy but the thing is that the Northwoods would have been covered with pine and right. pine needles are right. full of vitamin C. Pine in particular, right? yeah. yeah. So, I mean, tea is made from pine needles and things are supposed yeah. to just be really great uh, for, for wintertime teas. And, you know, some people think they taste like turpentine. Um, <laughs> actually, Yule Gibbons absolutely couldn't get into anything tree, any, anything pine tree based. He said everything that he's ever tried made from pine tree needles or anything like that tastes like turpentine. Oh, really? Yeah. He couldn't get into it. He was, he, he called himself basically a, a wild food forager who liked bland foods. Huh. And he proved it there. So what was the sous chef making tea out of that? Spruce. It was spruce tips. Yeah. Was there sumac in it too or? It was no. lavender. Yeah. Swamp oh. lavender. Ooh, swamp lavender. Yeah. I'll have to look yeah. into that. And... And it was spruce, it wasn't pine? I'm uh, sure yes, it, was it, was, it was spruce. Tips. It was spruce. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, spruce are a popular one, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
People also sometimes can eat spruce tips. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and sugar and eat them. Yeah. It was very tender. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, you know, I read this book when, or I, well, I guess had a book read to me in elementary school since we're talking trees and specifically, you know, like pine and spruce and whatnot. Um, they make gums, gum out of the, um, out of the pitch. Oh. And uh, a few years ago, I went out and harvested some and made my own gum. I, that's what I was thinking about okay. bringing because I still have an Altoid tin full of this stuff. <laughs> and it's actually kind of interesting because it's hard like a rock until it heats up and gets instilled to you, chew it up and heat it up in your mouth. And then it is very much like a very stiff gum, and it lasts forever. Oh, wow. But at one point, it was really apparently this common thing in certain parts of the United States where they would go around with these boxes with sharp blades on sticks and scrape the pitch off of pine trees specifically. Uh, actually, spruce. Like you mentioned okay. spruce. Uh, specific varieties of spruce are supposed to be sweeter than others. But they would collect them and sell them to these companies by the pound, and the companies would make early gum out of the pitch huh. sometimes some companies would supposedly make a softer gum out of pitch and beeswax okay. i haven't figured out how to recreate that <laughs> <laughs> but they would uh they would do this and make money off of it you know so that's mm-hmm. i guess that's one that's hmm. cool um i briefly mentioned hardwood ash and uh, apparently before baking soda was produced um they had something called pearl ash Okay. Apparently, during the Civil War, it was everything was made with pearl, pearl ash, um, and it's kind of a byproduct of lye production. Mm. And uh, it's not quite the same thing as what I'm thinking, because what I'm thinking is called ash water. Okay. But pearl ash kind of went out of popularity because it makes everything taste like soap. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to cover up the flavors with. They apparently had a lot of gingerbread cookie recipes. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, you know it's it's made from a lye byproduct, and they even use lye as a leavener at one point. Huh. But you can use hardwood ash that's burnt down as far as you can make it, and you use a, a equal parts ha- hardwood ash and water. And you can find this experiment online, by the way. Okay. And you you mix it, you shake it in hot water, and you let it sit overnight, and then you strain off the ash and use the water in biscuits and cookies hmm. and things like that. I'm I have yet to try try it but i'm gonna try it as soon as i make some hardwood ash sometime between now and next tuesday presumably (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but that's one kind i'm kind of excited about nice that's cool yeah but you know trees helicopter seeds oh so like maple maple samaras okay i'm excited about this i last year i harvested some by hand but it takes a long time to peel off the um the outer coverings and whatnot okay um, but it has a lot of potential. You could, they seem like they're a little bit oily. I could maybe press some oil out of them. Okay. Uh, one of the, uh, it, one of the websites that I posted on the back, eattheweeds.com, he has a forum where he suggests that at one point they were sprouted and eaten as vegetable, eaten as vegetables that way, hmm. or that you can kind of treat them like peas or beans and cook them the same way. But again, the problem is processing the things. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm figuring out a, uh, harvest and threshing method using a, a bucket with rubber paddles on the inside that spin. We'll see how that works out if I get it done by springtime. Yeah. Um, ash too, or just the maples, or uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't looked into ash. I've been mostly focusing on the maples. Okay, but yeah. Okay, I think we I think we 
probably taken enough of Travis's time. Thanks for all your information. This was really interesting. Yeah, no problem. Hopefully, I didn't uh, go over too much. <laughs> no, it'll it, be awesome. And, um, yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and um, yeah, we'll wrap up this session of Turtle Talks. And, and uh, like always, if you have any other ideas or topics or questions or suggestions for us, let us know. Thanks for listening. Thanks, folks.